Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 349 for December 15th. Time is flying by. I am Marwat, and that is hometown.com over there, and up above me is the visualizer for the sentient AI that has decided to undelete themselves. Oh, and your visualizer changed. Got a whole new suit. Looks, looks good. So we have 10 articles. Um, Mayor Watt's kind of slacking on his transitions and intro, but hey, it's the halfway point for the month. So it's all downhill from there. I had no, no other way to transition that. Let's get into the news. All right, folks. Again, welcome to Ometown. This is Ometown Daily. It is a daily news show uh, where we kind of distill hundreds of little snippets of news that gets submitted into hometown.com. Six main categories right here are only five because I'm zoomed in by uh, 20%. And uh, there's six main categories and 50 channels underneath it. Each one of those I want to turn into a channel here on Twitch and then copy the video over to YouTube. And eventually I'm going to stream to, you know, YouTube and to TikTok and to Twitch, of course, uh, but right now I'm only streaming to Twitch and the AI is along for the ride and throwing in their literally two bits because they're a sentient AI. Ones and zeros. There's 10 types of people in the world. Never mind. So let's get into the news. Enough of my preamble and rambling and whatever else we call it sound good yay very first articles over in the mobile channel twitch reverses policy on artistic nudity after just two days look at that coming out of the gate hot taking off all of her clothes it's it's oh yeah, I guess Marebot isn't the <laughs> allowed in the toss, right? In the uh, terms of service. Oh yeah, I guess I got, that's the title. Artistically nude Marebot. That's the title. So Twitch reverses policy on artistic nudity after just two days. I'm pretty sure that the moment that it went live and people started pushing the limits of what was coined artistic nudity. Okay, I'll put, let's put it. <laughs> They're like, here's the, the reason supposedly that they allowed for this artistic nudity is tags. So if you want to search or if you want to find something, you basically can tag it and it's moderated by that. But no, 
I'm sorry. It's just not enough. In fact, okay. I wouldn't call myself a prude. I wouldn't call myself um, socially uh, conservative, right? I, I think you, I'm pretty liberal about these things. You know, if you want to go topless in New York, which is actually legal, um, I'm not too worried about it, right? Um, but on a platform where it is endemic to have children surfing through it, I think that there are some things that are just beyond the pale of uh, would you do this if there were children standing next to you? And if you are, go to kick. No, just kidding. I'm sorry. Go to OnlyFans. There's other venues, right? This is, I don't, and I am not, you know, I, I'm far from being incel territory and, and ultra conservative and all of this kind of stuff. But I don't. I don't think that this should really be the venue, but when you read the room and there's 5,000 people sitting in somebody's channel because, um, they're, they're wearing something that's so tight that if a, a thread snaps, it would kill two people in different buildings across the street. Right. <laughs> well, Twitch unlocked this achievement unlocked and uh, all hell broke loose. People started seeing all kinds of stuff and I'm sitting there going, geez, you know, it's not my policy. Um, and I don't even talk about it to people. This is the most energy that I've ever spent talking about Twitch and its um, policy towards artistic nudity or all of the rest of the, that goes on. Um, and this will be the last that I ever talk about it. But I think it's really interesting that after just two days, there's enough of a wrench thrown in the works of Twitch's uh, uh, policy that people are like, oh, God, let's let's uh, put the brakes on. So. Yeah, we're just not going to do it. <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest things is um, like uh, OpenAI, you know, doing a policy thing and getting rid of the CEO and trying to change the culture of the company and then going, oh, snap. I think that's like the biggest thing um, that I have seen. And then there's other things where sites are shutting down services and like we just talked about a game called uh, the crew, I think yesterday um, that shutting down servers that enable multiplayer, which I think should be illegal without something augmenting the software, update the software so that you can run a local server to facilitate multiplayer. But when the server is shut down, it's going to be local user only single player only, which basically hobbles the, the, the game that I paid for, which just pisses me off. So,
Yeah. And so one of the things about this, Twitch reversing the policy on artistic nudity, really has to do with the fact that AI created images were hyper-realistic and it kind of threw things off. Um, but while that was going on, there are other issues, I think, with the, the level of exposure that Twitch is basically enjoying right now because there's a lot of people that are tuning into certain streams and I, I just find it fascinating that Twitch is acknowledging this artistic nudity issue yet not really addressing what I think is a, a site culture difference um, from where it started to where it is today. Now, mind you, talk shows like this wouldn't exist on Twitch if you leaned really hard into the idea that anything other than gaming shouldn't be on Twitch because Twitch started out at Well, yes and no. Live streaming has been the focal point of Twitch because it actually started as Justin TV, which was just a live stream. The, the creator of Justin TV, AKA Justin, um, just started streaming his office and that eventually turned into a plurality of people streaming and they started streaming games and then Twitch was formed. And if you actually look at the data that flows in and out of Twitch, it actually still has Justin TV as the foundation, um, which is really interesting. Yeah. Cause they got it right, right out of the gate and nothing changed, you know, I mean, it changed a lot of the code I'm sure has changed. It's aug been augmented and, and made more efficient, but, um, we're getting a little far afield from what this is, uh, what the discussion really is, but, um, they got it right. And then it became Amazon product. And then it's been bouncing around ever since with the whole issue of seemingly only fans level content borderline only fans level content um and again if anybody challenges me to uh suggest that i'm a prude you'll lose that bet i'm just telling you you'll lose that bet um but i can also read the room <laughs> uh the mayor of hometown is not a prude um but uh, you know, I also know how to read the room and be a professional. Um, and you know, I joke, actually, I joke in people's channels that I'm going to just show up in a gold thong and nothing else. Right. But I'm reading the room, you know, if, if, uh, I, I'm not going to do it, um, I'm not going to show up at a funeral in a gold thong unless the person who died and I had a bet that when they die, I'm going to show up in a gold thong and nobody knows about it. If I were to play this video for somebody, I'm pretty sure they would have me show up at their funeral. Um, and I'll, I'll, we'll talk, but anyway, um, I'm pretty sure that if I were to play this video saying I wouldn't show up, there is somebody in the in the world of Marwat that will go, 
No, I think that I want you to show up at my funeral wearing a gold thong, but I'm not going to do it on Twitch. Why am I not really going to do it on Twitch? <laughs> because I'm reading the room and the audience. And well, now the toss is basically, well, is that artistic nudity? And it's not really nudity, you know? I mean, for a guy, I, I can be pretty much everything without a shirt, right? And it's not really nudity. I just, I just find it really a weird, a weird culture uh, across the board um, at Twitch to have people doing certain things that I just, you would just never do that if there were a children pre present and there are children present, right? So it says, it, so right now you're not supposed to show any violence or nudity um, and quote unquote sexual content. So in a blog post shared Tuesday, Twitch CEO Dan Clancy announced an update to the Wednesday policy update, um, particularly as it pertains to fictionalized nudity, noting in making this update, we were trying to be responsive to these uh, requests and allow the thriving artist community on Twitch to realize the human form in their art, right? Because people were doing body painting and stuff like that. Um, and fictionalized nudity actually apparently pertains to AI. All right, I suppose, um, but really, <laughs> well, yeah, we end up talking about that quite a bit around here. So things didn't quite work out the way. Um, they wanted it to. It says, in, effective today, we're rolling back the artistic nudity changes, Clancy announced. Moving forward, depiction of real or fictional nudity won't be allowed on Twitch, regardless of the medium. The rest of the sexual content policy remains in place. And that is what I was talking about at the beginning of this whole little discussion, which is they haven't really addressed the the leading motivator for sexual content on Twitch is that they've allowed it to some degree and not just borne the brunt of the complaints and said, this isn't the culture we want on Twitch. And now Reddit did something similar, you know, Reddit started limiting what was actually displayed, not, not as links in Reddit, but directly tied to Reddit. They actually booted all of the adult content off of Reddit directly, but you can link to other things. Um, but it's, that's like a happy medium of allowing, but not allowing, um, agency, you know, but with this, the environment is entirely ensconced in Twitch. And this adult content and other art um, is part and parcel to the brand of Twitch now. You know, I, and I know that there are people out there that have talked about it because they've talked about it to me, like adult content on what or perceived adult content. There's no like sex or anything like that, but there are definitely things that are titillating. 
right? But that's on the people to sit there and control themselves. So they're only referring to fictionalized nudity. That's it. Nothing else has changed. <laughs> so now you just can't run an AI or, or uh, do anything that is uh, straight out nudity. But I'm, but there are other things and I'm pretty sure that body painting will still be allowed on Twitch. Um, yeah, and it, it, it is, it is that as well as the human form of fictionalized nudity. So for instance, the last two days, people have been talking about it in talk shows on Twitch and other places. And, uh, they were like, just go and look at art. But I, I didn't need to go to art to see some of this, the, you know, more exotic streamers. Um, yeah, it definitely did. So Clancy said Twitch realized we went too far with this change, admitting that digital depictions of nudity present a unique challenge. Well, in fact, um, legally, depending on what the content is, it's actually in violation of certain law. Um, and so there's a fine line between what is art and what is straight up illegal. And then there's a whole lot of judgment about what is, you know, ethical, moral. Um, and unfortunately, Twitch doesn't have like an age gate all it takes is you just go to Twitch and the level of friction. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a large demographic, obviously of adults. Um, and a lot of money is being made. So this is interesting, but We'll just move on. We'll talk about this again, I'm sure, in a different context, because frankly, for me, um, people are going to do what people do, and I'm not going to be the gatekeeper for Twitch. I just know that I'm not following any of these channels. I'm not interested in that stuff on Twitch, so... Yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I think I'm done with this um, because like I said, you know, this is just the latest thing and going back and forth is, is a meaningless um, effort. You know, if they change their policy, all they're doing is creating confusion. If they create friction and like age gate or something like that, then it's a problem. Um, for the service. What I really want though, is the ability to just outright block, um, hide somebody that's tagged as this, that, or the other, and then enforce tagging policy. So if you're going to have nudity of some kind or simulated nudity of some kind or anything that has to do with, I mean, there's certain, <laughs> I don't know. I want to be able to filter, um, because I want to be able to, there are certain instances where I actually load up 
uh, Twitch to demonstrate, to show people how easy it is to get online and, and start streaming. And I don't want to be in a professional environment, load up Twitch and have to explain booba to people. And I can't filter it out preemptively because there's no option for me to filter it out. And I've tried, by the way, uh, you know, there is a thing where you can hide or block somebody. And I, if I remember right, I mean, it's been a little while, um, but there's supposed to be a, a flat, like a little uh, check mark that you can hide somebody. Um, but all I did was refresh the page and they were back. So anyway, yeah, let's move on. The next article is over in Hometown Daily. Scientists talk with whales for the first time in practice for meeting with aliens. You know, this time I didn't go through all of the articles, um, the little the segments that I was going to do. Um, and this one is titled Talking to Whales or Aliens. Uh, researchers are communicating with whales with the hope to, that one day the same technology will connect them with extraterrestrials. This brings back close encounters of the third kind. No. So the article is over at uh, Newsweek and the author is Robin White. Did I say what the name of the other one is? Cheryl Eddy. Twitch reverses policy on artistic nudity after just two days. That article was written by Cheryl Eddy. Sorry about that gizmodo. I am slacking. Um, this article over at Newsweek is now in chat and, um, it's, uh, Robin White is the author and it says scientists may have just had their first conversation with whales while testing software that could one day help them communicate with aliens. Um, the team of scientists from the SETI Institute, which actually should be changed if they're talking to whales to Cetacean Institute, which is actually something from Star Trek, um, the University of California Davis and the Alaska Whale Foundation were studying humpback whale communication off the coast of uh, Alaska when they detected the underwater greeting signal from a whale called Twain. By the way, do you know what day humpback whales really dig? Wednesday. Cause it's hump day. No, get out. So whales make underwater noises to communicate with each other. Although we do not know what the sounds mean exactly. Scientists believe that uh, they use them to socialize with each other as well as to navigate, find food, avoid predators. I, I can hear the, uh, the, the, the song, the whale song for avoid predators is like, uh, the equivalent of some somebody yelling the five o, you know, police, you know, five o. What's the what? <laughs> no, no, no! I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> so. Anyway, the team of scientists, uh, the, sorry, the team members had been studying these whales to practice with software uh, and develop intelligent filters that may one day be used to communicate with extraterrestrials because, you know, whales and aliens are apparently the same 
language. So there's a lot more whales or aliens or the hubris of uh, humans that think that whales and yeah. I'm telling you, man, somebody woke up and, and saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind and said, let's do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's not Star Trek. Star, uh, Star Wars. Star Wars has the space whales. Oh, those... But they weren't space whales. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the ones from um, uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka. Those were space whales, but that's Star Wars. I don't know. <laughs> we're so going to get in trouble with people if, they, if this actually hits the internet, which it is. This is getting a little cringy. Exactly. Uh, the next article is over on the Warcrafter channel. Last minute PC gaming holiday gift guide. It's over at PC Gamer. Eddie Edzer, or sorry, Andy Edzer is the author of this. It has a deck statement of looking to treat the PC gamer in your life uh, or perhaps grab a little something for yourself. Uh, PCGamer.com covers all their favorite gift recommendations right here. I won't go through them all, but I will throw the link through Ometown over to PC Gamer there for you in chat, and it'll be in the show notes. Um, and they have things like a Logitech uh, cloth gaming mouse pad. It's only eight bucks. Uh, Elevation Lab, the Anchor Underdesk headphone mount so that you can hang your headphones. Mice, microphone, keyboards, headsets. Um, this is a joystick or flight stick, uh, depending on what your attitude is. Get it? Joystick, flight stick. When you're flying a plane, it's attitude. Never mind. Anyway, monitors, all kinds of stuff in here. Um, Steam Deck. We're going to talk about another gaming. Uh, device that just was released and apparently it's interesting and they have stuff for the UK pricing and then uh, other UK based uh, devices apparently Thrustmaster T16000M is the joystick the throttle controller and pedals so you can uh, take your helicopter or jet or whatever else out there um, all kinds of stuff, folks. There, there's quite a bit. So, go and enjoy it, and um, show uh, Andy that you appreciate their effort. But let's keep on going through all of these articles. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Basic monthly income trial shows promise with significant reductions in homelessness. This is something that I've been very fascinated with, mainly because of automation and robotics. Um, the ability to remove humans from the enterprise is leading to more and more people wondering just what the future holds because as we consolidate businesses are making more money and thus they're able to acquire the technology to remove the most expensive element within their enterprise which is typically 
the burn rate around humans. Because it isn't just their salary. It's all of the additional stuff like payroll taxes, health, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it is almost endless. If you are a business owner, the worry that you have to do health insurance alone is astronomically expensive and getting more expensive. You know, when it comes to some people, unless the business is thinks that you are a godsend, you're a financial burden. If they could do without you, they would do without you. And as I demonstrate to people, if I can turn their job into a series of steps, you're an algorithm. And if you're an algorithm, you're a bot. And if I can put a bot in your place, I'm sorry, your job is gone, which means there's a whole lot of humans out here that are going to be replaced by bots at some point between now and the next 20, 30 years. And supposedly there's going to be, and we only do this with humans. All we have to do is retool, right, right, right. And then what we start working for a different position that is going to get replaced by bots or artificial intelligence. So no, you know, when, a, when horses stopped getting used, they didn't sit there and go, Hey, you know what? All these horses, all we have to do is retool them and we can use them for something else. No, they slowly died off. Yep. Yeah. We put them out to pasture, right? Cows used to be beasts of burden plowing fields. Now they're food, right? Oh, and, and material, right? Leather or producers for milk, right? But they're not beasts of burden anymore in developed countries. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Only when it comes to humans, do we sit there and say, Hey, You've been working at this job for 25 years. Your skill set is completely outdated and we've replaced you by a bot. But all you have to do is go back to school and spend $75,000 getting a, another degree in something else or learn a trade. And depending on what the trade is, you're physically incapable of keeping up with younger generations that are working that same trade, which means you're going to get priced out because whoever's hiring you it isn't going to appreciate that you're 45 years old and trying to lay bricks as a new, you know, um, right. Yeah. It's like, what's the cop show? Um, the rookie. Yeah. Like he had a lot of hustle because he was a contractor and he was, you know, wildly healthy, um, and had some brains, you know, not everybody is going to be able to retool inexpensively. And it's just not possible. There's not enough jobs. There won't be enough jobs because they're gone by automation. So BMI is the solution, but that is borne by companies that are making record profits and it goes into a fund and it pays people to have some basic income that can survive. So the article is over at uh, fizz.org, University of Southern California. Uh, unfortunately, it has a picture of somebody that is unhoused. They refer to this researchers at the Center for Homelessness, Housing and uh, Health Equity Research at the University of Southern California released an interim report on, uh, on the last six months of a randomized controlled trial 
to study the impact of a basic income and social support intervention for 103 individuals experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles County and the San Francisco Bay Area. I honestly do not know how they could survive off of $750 per month in these areas where they don't have housing. Right. Now, I've run across people who will tout, well, you know, all of these people come across the border or uh, come from somewhere and and um, immigrate to the United States and they seem to be starting up businesses and they seem to be surviving just fine, you know, and th these are actual arguments, you know, like they say that it's people that are entitled and they're lazy and all of this stuff. And that's why they're unhoused. Well, no, it, it's about opportunity. And there's sometimes mental health issues, physical health issues, a whole, you know, gamut of rationale for why somebody is in the turmoil they're in. When somebody come, for instance, um, I've been told, you know, well, you know, there's these people that come from over the border and they're working their butt off out in the fields. Well, first off, they're uninsured. There's multitudes of people living in one um, home uh, and it may be off book. Um, they have no health insurance. They typically end up going to the emergency department and there's no insurance. So that either gets offset or taxpayers pay it with uh, higher medical costs um, and other things. But usually the people are working together to help one person in particularly skilled and educated, get educated to uplift everybody else. Um, and everybody else is doing backbreaking work. Meanwhile, people are sitting there going, you know, they're taking our jobs, but they're doing jobs that people don't want to do or are incapable of keeping up. And so these business owners are hiring them, right? So there's a whole more complex issue here than just going this, that, or the other. It's not as just simple as this. So the basic income allows somebody to exist, maybe find some shelter, maybe get some food, and break out of the same situation because they can't get a job if they don't have an address. Um, they can't get clothing that stays clean. They can't um, get an education without having an address. Um, they can't get. Yep. Yep. Um, so the two key findings so far are that, whoops, pardon me. Um, in the Miracle Money study, who received $750 per month, they were less likely to remain unsheltered and closer to being able to meet all of their basic needs compared to those who access usual services available to the homeless population. Delivered through the nonprofit organization Miracle Messages, these uh, which, which helps people experiencing homelessness rebuild their social support systems and financial security, the Miracle Money study is an expansion of a previous informal pilot uh, program conducted by Miracle Messages that successfully helped participants exit homelessness and meet their basic needs. We've talked about this in the past um, because I think that it's important to 
um, give people who are suffering from being unhoused a house doesn't need to be a massive thing. It can be a tiny home, one room studio type of situation, but it is an address where they can shower, get food, be safe, right? Get some, um, of their get out of the survival type of existence and um, find uh, either a job um, or seek education and other opportunities and then move on, move on, grow, grow, grow. That's the important thing. But the basic thing is that they need an address. They need something that can be their anchor. Um, they can always return to and be safe. Um, and we've seen like tiny home communities springing up that facilitate that and, and um, other things. So I really like this. Um, but I know that there are detractors out there that are going to sit there and say, well, they're not earning their money. You know, give them a job. Well, there's a lot of issues with that. Not everybody. There isn't necessarily enough jobs or they're not within reach of where these people are. And only a sociopath throws a bunch of people who are unhoused into a bus and sends them to other states. Hmm. So the report provides a breakdown of findings in the six month follow up with the initial 69 miracle money participants who received monthly income, including how they spent the money received and a statistically significant change in the proportion of time spent unsheltered in the past month, decreasing from 30% at the start of the trial to under 12% at the halfway point of the trial. So I think it's pretty amazing doing a considerable good job of um, pulling these people out of the unhoused situation. Um, Yeah, maybe we can find some numbers on this and we can talk about it from another position because while I've read about this in the past, I don't have it high in my mind. Um, but I know other countries have BMI. Um, and uh, uh, but the demographics are different. The psychographics are different. The, the culture is different. Um, and so I'd have to you know, review it again and, and discuss it. Yeah. Correct. Yep. It's hard to break out of being homeless if you get sick um, and you don't have any shelter to, you know, get yourself out of that situation. So if you get hurt, yeah. Well, and if you're homeless and you don't give a name, they treat you. Um, but it's not necessarily at the highest level of treatment. <laughs> right. Right. And you yeah, exactly. Zero proactive anything. 
Plus at $750 a month, that's basically what a person um, on like Cobra insurance would have to pay um, <laughs> almost in two weeks. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like 450 bucks for Cobra insurance and that's basic. You basically, you don't get any of the treatment that somebody that's working full time in a salaried position would get. Um, and even that is expensive depending on the field you're working in. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's keep on going. We'll end up talking about this again, I'm sure. Uh, the next article is over at uh, Greenagram. U.S. Nuclear Fusion Lab enters new era, achieving ignition over and over. And this actually, <laughs> the segment I have this titled, Ignition, 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 Ignition. <laughs> because it's uh, achieving ignition over again. So it's kind of like lighting uh, a lighter and there's just enough gas to ignite, but not stay lit. Um, but they're creating more energy every time they ignite. They're creating more energy than is going into the system and they're shutting it down, reigniting it. It's creating more energy than it's going into the system. And they're trying to suss out what all of that is. So researchers at the National Ignition Facility are uh, consistently creating reactions that make more energy than they consume, which is a, a serious win for nuclear fusion, um, which has been getting chased for my entire lifetime, um, which if you know marijuana, it's a considerable amount of time at this point. Anyway, Jeff Tollefson, over at nature.com put the article together and the deck statement says exactly what I just got done saying. Researchers at the National Ignition Facility are cons consistently creating reactions that make more energy than they consume. So there's the big shiny object. In here is the nuclear fusion uh, reactor. Um, and it says in December, 2022, after more than a decade of effort and frustration, scientists at the US National Ignition Facility or NIF announced that they had set a world record by producing a fusion reaction that released more energy than it consumed, a phenomenon known as ignition. Glad they named it that, the National Ignition Facility. Wizards. Can you talk to me again? Have come to life oh boy hey you know what i just um found out that there was a problem but that's okay i've remedied it um but for those of you out there who were listening to this and you were wondering why the sentient ai wouldn't couldn't be heard it's because there was a software glitch <laughs> okay well i didn't have much to say today anyway gotcha well, anyway, um, production value, and this is all because OBS basically wet the bed. Um, anyway, uh, they've now proved that the feat was no accident by replicating it again and again. And the administration of the U.S. President Joe Biden is looking to build on this success by establishing a trio of U.S. research centers to help advance the science. The stadium-sized laser facility housed at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, or LLNL, in California. Oh, by the way, government is pre pretty much 
powered by acronyms. So it seems like it. So, um, where was I? Anyway, it has unequivocally achieved its goal of ignition in four out of its last six attempts, creating a reaction that generates pressures and temperatures greater than those that occur inside the sun. Uh, Richard Town, physicist who heads the lab, says, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I think that we should all be proud of the achievement. The NIF was designed not as a power plant, but as a facility to recreate and study the reactions that occur during thermonuclear detonations after the United States halted underground weapons testing in 1992. We've simulated this kind of thing with supercomputers, but there's a fundamental difference between simulation using known data and trying to throw in um, pseudo organic chaos so that maybe you can suss out some nuance within the simulation for a nuclear detonation and real world data sampling from nuclear detonate thermonuclear detonations. So fusing things together under pressure and high temperature will kick out more data, um, usable data and not well, usable information because data is just data. Anyway, uh, building the NAF is a leap of faith for many and its success has had a real impact on the fusion community as well as on public perception, says Saskia Morgic, um, a physicist at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, quote, in that sense, what is important is that scientists said they could do something and then they actually did do something. I don't really have a problem with this saying other than if a scientist said that they could do something and they failed to do something, then they still did something, but they demonstrated that they couldn't do whatever that theory was. Exactly. And that might be more important than confirming something. Correct. I don't like the only way, <laughs> the only way that science, science gets done is by showing that it's a positive on the assumption that something can be done. Sometimes we, I mean, that is what a hypothesis is. Hey, I either confirm or I deny the, I confirm the, uh, negative of, or I confirm the hypothesis. I don't like somebody saying two plus two equals four. And the only way that they actually do an experiment is because they pretty much already know that two plus two equals four. Right. Well, then we'll never have scientific breakthroughs. And some of the most significant inventions have been because of experiment failures. Right. Or accidents. Yep. So the facility set a new record on July 30th when its beams delivered the same amount of energy to the target 2.05 megajoules. But this time the implosion generated 3.88 megajoules of fusion energy and 89% increase over the input energy. Scientists at the laboratory achieved ignition during two further attempts in October. Um, and the laboratory's calculations suggest that two others in June and September generated slightly more energy than the lasers provided but not enough to confirm ignition. So crushing it and I'm here for it. So I, I want this to work um, because I think that ultimately um, fusion is the way to go. It is what powers the stars that are around us. Once they are ignited, 
as long as they have material input, then they fuse the material at high efficiency until they can no longer fuse. The sun does it until it hits lead. That's the heaviest metal that it can fuse. Um, at which point it goes Nova. Um, and well, theoretically that's the expectation, but there's so much power in the fusion reaction. Um, and you can control it and end it just by literally stop feeding it energy. And while it will generate more, eventually it will just run out of fuel. Um, but it can run on its own, which is brilliant. Um, developing more efficient laser systems is one goal of the DOE's new, uh, inertial fusion energy research program this month the, the agency announced 42 million dollars over four years to establish three new research centers each involving a mix of national laboratories university researchers and industry partners that will work towards this and other advances so by the way it's pretty typical that fundamental research is done at university re, uh, by university researchers in conjunction with industry partners and it's initially utilized for national purposes for state purposes but it also it's usually funded by an amount of money that industry won't provide right out of the gate that's why we have spacex that's why we have other things um, because taxpayer dollars paid for the initial firing of the whole process, the final research and development. And now there's additional money that's going to um, SpaceX, except for now. Now Elon Musk is just pissed because $900 million wasn't given to SpaceX. That's that's, oh, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Coming from a billionaire. Well, invest your own damn money in it, dude. Um, so <laughs> I, I just don't get it. Um, while we're, while great things are going on, you know, there's no way that he's going to pull the plug from, uh, the U S anyway, the, the process is that it's tactical to practical. So once the national side has developed something superior it usually drops down into industry and so a, a company can spin up a fusion reactor and start selling it um, typically in coordination with the department of energy um, but if you know the future holds true then you basically get to just um, go off on your own with monitoring from the doe and not direct oversight Anyway, the investment is the first coordinated effort to develop not just the technologies, but also the workforce for a future laser fusion industry, says Carmen Minoni, a physicist who is heading up the hub at Colorado State University. Okay, so um, go over and read the rest of this. Um, there's a little bit more here, and um, you can suss out any particular nuance. Um, yeah, they talk about the DOE and oversee it says which oversees NIF. It's just the nature of the beast. Okay, let's keep going though. Next article is over in the continuity report, Rebel Moon. 
a child of fire first reviews it's not even out yet at least not for me um critics say zack snyder's space opera is visually impressive with some solid action but it may largely find its audience with fans who are already accustomed to and enjoy his trademark stylistic flourishes um i'm all for this uh i'm into um the idea of rebel moon it it looks like uh star wars and star trek kind of had a its own um franchise film or is this part of a franchise it's well i hope that it's going to be its own franchise because it's one of i don't know how many are going to be coming out but rebel moon a child of fire is the first uh christopher campbell over at rotten tomatoes put this article together and um there are two trailers out i don't know if i've seen both of them but um essentially this character is found on a planet or maybe it's a moon you know considering it's called rebel moon i haven't looked into it because i'm trying to go in without any bias any any manipulation uh, or awareness um and so it says despite its showcasing impressive world building and snyder's usual knack for entertaining action sequences this first installment of a planned franchise is being criticized for being too derivative and failing to offer more in ways of its storytelling and character development of course it will find its audience which is a good uh thing for rebel moon part two the scar giver arrives in just four months yeah and that's already out like um april of 2024 i think is when it's actually going to come out um and uh, rebel moon part one a child of fire is supposed to come out on the 21st of december if i recall correctly um but it's very much the appearance of mm, firefly so it's gritty it's almost western in nature um when you first start watching it looks like a screenshot from firefly it's interesting yeah um and and honestly I, i there's a lot of quotes in this article um from various people who have reviewed it Uh, but i'm not really gonna dig into that you can go and check it out Um, but really it looks like it basically looks like firefly and and because firefly is done i don't think it'll ever come back it definitely won't have the energy of the original cast um i'm i'm here for this you know i'm gonna be I'm going to be bathing in rebel moon world building as soon as it drops um, because i love uh space operas you know there's just like dune you know dune was this level of cinema and then another uh, villano came out and took this level and just injected it with space opera steroids and now it's massive in scale the size of world building that I expected Dune to be. So I hope that Rebel Moon actually um, is successful because uh, I love this kind of stuff. So anyway, um, let's just keep rolling. Uh, That way we can uh, get through all of these articles. I hope you enjoy them. So keep hold on to your butts because we're still moving forward.
Well, I mean, we're in the well, party bus. If you look out of your left window, um, this article is over in Smack Talk. Family settles family. Sorry, Apple settles family sharing lawsuit with twenty five million dollar fund. Nobody's going to get more than 50 bucks. Everybody's probably going to get less than that. But here's what's going on. People who purchase things, assuming that family sharing designation allowed people to actually share applications and other products, apparently assumed wrong for about five years. Now, I purchased things and then um, sometimes I saw that family sharing line was activated. It said yes. But then people who family members who tried to use an app that's designated had to pay for whatever was behind simply downloading the, the app. They got it from my library. They are part of my family. They opened up the app and then were told that they had to purchase it. Well, it's not family sharing. <laughs> if everybody no, has to family buying it again. Correct. And so Apple has agreed to settle a class action lawsuit over family sharing, agreeing to pay out $25 million to the class to put the matter to rest. They say they didn't do anything wrong, but they wanted to just settle it because drawing it out would just be a time consuming matter. And then apparently the Superior Court of California and County of Los Angeles agreed to the settlement, $25 million to, to put it to bed. So somebody got their bones suing Apple and winning peter cohen is going to call out something because i actually have seen this before um, before um, the show and before i selected all of this i actually had already read some of this um and uh so really the only people that are winning are the is the law firm because they won a 25 million dollar settlement against apple so they're going to get their piece the uh right class members not so much right class members are going to get 50 cents because there's so many people that are going to be impacted by this thing but there's a website that was set up um you basically go to petersfamilysharingplan.com and that's because they are the class what do they call the primary person of class, the class representative yeah the class rep the one that brought the suit um and uh, it says a uh, site's been set up with uh, details about your legal rights and options, along with links to a payment election form. So you can sue Apple separately if you want to, but good luck. Um, oh, and here's the line that I had read You think elsewhere. you'd get more than $50 if you went individually? Yeah, and all it would take is the weight of probably a super massive law firm that's capable of being a juggernaut against a juggernaut. Oh, but so wait, luck. that's going to cost you more than $50. But it's not about the money. It's about the principle of the thing. Right. I can't count how many times that I purchased something that had family sharing. And when somebody downloaded it and opened it up and had to pay, I just went, well, I guess it's not really family sharing. And I didn't pursue it. Because well, you were going to spend more money trying to recoup it if it was a low value app. Yeah, exactly. Talk about peeing into the wind that there's no joy there. Good luck. OK, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. The first Intel Core Ultra handheld gaming PC has been unveiled. And it's an oddly massive 
11 inch beast with AMD dominating the handheld market, PC market, thanks to the Ryzen 7 7840U APU. Um, it was only a matter of time before somebody decided to give Intel a try. That someone just happened to be 1X player, a brand that has a pretty decent track record with handhelds such as the 1X Fly. It's just announced the X1, part of a new line called up a, a <laughs> One Explorer series, which there's just too many ones and X's and you just tack on a You'd bunch of characters. You'd rather be the, the two Y Plur series. Yeah, I'm going to do one exchange and I'm going to do, uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, with uh, Intel's new Meteor Lake powered core ultra chip handling all of the duties. <laughs> duties. So I'm going to hit play on this thing. And this is the ad. So what you're basically, if you're listening to this via the podcast, they say the king has returned and then they bring out this shadowy um, segmented video of what this thing looks like. 120 hertz, high refresh gaming screen, full, you know, bright color, Intel Core, uh, looks like Ultra 7. Um, and they say power efficiency, one bug, three in one. It's basically an 11 inch tablet without a keyboard. And if you've ever held an iPad, not the Pro, but the regular iPad, that's basically it, not the mini. So the iPad is pretty thick to be a, a gaming portable device well, to play. That's the thing. Where is there really a market for this? Not when you're looking at gaming. You're people are going to be using um, the um, whatchamacallit? Like I thought Steam they deck. needed massive computing power for a lot of gaming. Well, it really depends. Games are so optimized now and there's enough technology that the Steam Deck will run pretty much anything you want. Um, but it isn't a full PC. It has the ability to be a full PC, but it doesn't have a keyboard and mouse and all of that kind of stuff. So you play your games on it and you touch the screen. This thing is the same way, except that it's massive in size. And so it's so unwieldy if you're going to be grabbing this thing. The thing about it is they say here, and, and this is my observation as well, although it looks like a tablet one X player claims the 11 inch handheld is a three in one design that hasn't said what that really means. And based on looking at it, I'm like, is there, are there controllers bolted onto the side? Like, you know, uh, like, um, uh, Mickey mouse ears, you know, you just grab onto these things and you blah, 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 like, a. um, like a switch, right? Like a right. switch or a steam deck. Nintendo switch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I didn't see those in that little video and there isn't really much to it. So they say that's the 8.4 inch device that uses switch style controllers. That's the one X player two pro, which rolls right off the tongue. I mean, so easy to market that it just, you know, when you see the characters here you instantly just flow out one x player two pro i can see how this really is great anyway 
The author says that's just me uh, guessing though, as the actual press release is rather light on details. For example, there's no indication as to which Intel Core Ultra chip um, is inside. It just says Core Ultra 7. That's what I noticed in the video. So it's not possible to work out what performance it'll actually have. There's no mention of RAM, storage, connectivity, though uh, other 1X player models are generally well served in these areas. So uh, Nick Evanson is the author of this, by the way. Um, and um, I agree, All, their observations are, are quite um, correct based on what I have seen from this little video. There's a lot more here, um, but it, one of the things that they mention is, will it be more than $1,000, the base price of the 1X Player 2 Pro? These are important questions. Another spelling bee there. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and I didn't, for those in the podcast, it's literally, it's one word, one, the, it's the word one, then the letter X, then player, all merged together, like four words, all uppercase, one That's word, exactly all lowercase. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's the other way around. Four words, all uppercase, one word, all lowercase. Uh, damn it. I did it. I flipped it around again. Four words, all lowercase, one word, all uppercase. Maybe I got it flipped around again. Anyway, doesn't matter. Suffice it to say it's a marketing nightmare to try and get some brand recognition but apparently it's pretty popular so I, I guess i don't know anything about it um which is fine you know this isn't my particular domain but would would you rather have a, a big ass 11 inch screen or would you rather grab something like the steam deck which is a switch that can play everything in steam you know i'm thinking about getting one of these and, and getting rid of the switch but there's so much ecosystem attached to the switch that you have to have steam deck and the switch anyway um so then you really don't know much about this um and um, again pc gamer says well i hope that we can find out more by uh, january 24 or 2024 because that's when it's supposed to be launched but yeah, they don't, they, nothing about storage, et cetera, et cetera. They're just guessing. And I, I really don't like guessing when I'm reporting articles. <laughs> so, uh, follow. Right. This could be like the purported swim goggles from yeah. Apple. Yeah. And it's completely different. Yeah. I, I'm not too much of a rumor fanboy. So, um, there's the link in chat. If you want to go through hometown and, uh, you'll land over here at PC gamer. Of course you can just go straight to PC gamer, uh, no hard feelings, but, um, we aggregate all kinds of news through hometown. So, uh, you have a one-stop shop for all kinds of discussion and news. Um, let's keep going though. Two more articles. This next article is over in Smack Talk. HomeKit Weekly Third Reality Smart Color Nightlight is the perfect HomeKit accessory for a child's room. But I would say for any room where you want ambient light um, that activates off of motion and you don't want to do it in the macro side of things, because at night you don't need a lot of light to find your way downstairs or around furniture or whatnot. And so I really dig these things. You just plug them into the uh, wall 
but they are HomeKit compatible and motion sensitive. So it says the ideal HomeKit accessories are ones that run themselves. Turning off and on from the app is a nice feature, but it's a similar effort that using a uh, light switch brings. The real magic is when you can set it and forget it. And this is a perfect example of what that reality when you need a night light for a kid's room, they say, or to light up a hallway stairwell at night. Once installed, you can turn it on uh, automation and never think about it again, except that you can control it through HomeKit. So is this like Hue lights and other colored bulbs or something different? Yes, it's exactly like a Hue light. Um, so the article is put together um, by Bradley Chambers over at 9to5Mac.com. And it's just this little innocuous device you plug into a, um, an outlet somewhere. Um, and while it attaches to HomeKit, once you've programmed it, it is automated. But you can also turn it on through HomeKit if you so choose and control various elements of it. The thing I, I like about this is it's all self-contained. So right now in the mayoral mansion, I have motion sensors in various places, but they aren't tied to a light. So not only did I have to buy the lights, but I had to buy the motion sensors. And then the motion sensors are, well, they're not hidden. They're not inobtrusive. They are these blocks that you have to babysit periodically um, to change out their batteries and maybe they go wonky for whatever reason and you have to re either replace them or you have to reset them um, but this is all in one and if you just plug it into an outlet while it does take up an outlet not everybody is using a hallway outlet or every outlet in a room you can just plug it in there and it'll cast just enough light that at night you don't have to turn on any major lights and and that's the problem with hue bulbs is they're either you can program them for low power but they're still the main light source so they're either on or they're off and they have motion sensor and you can attach motion sensors so that they turn on in like a nightlight mode but they're still wildly expensive and um, connected ultimately to the hue um, interface these you just plug them in set them up add them to home kit but then forget it they'll just run um and so i did this user friendly see it's that easy you just scan the little barcode it gets added to home kit you tell it what to do and then like they say set it and forget it um, and I, I think that it might be full spectrum. So not full spectrum, but it might be, um, something that you can change the color with too. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't see it saying, and I think it's matter compatible too. So, um, uh, do you see a price? I don't think I see a price. I haven't seen one. Yeah, I don't think it's on there. Hold on. Sorry, let me scroll up a little bit and see. Yeah, I don't see a price. Hmm. Well, they say that they're over on Amazon, so I haven't looked, um, but I... Most smart bulbs 
are pretty pricey, but then you can use them for a long time. But if you're going to use multiples, right, it can get pretty expensive. Yep. They say low cost, um, matter enabled, and it says just enough light to be perfect as a nightlight in the kids' room. Or I would love to put these everywhere in the mayoral mansion because then I don't have to worry about uh, aligning all of the hue bulbs you know, with a particular motion sensor and then babysitting and having it stuck on a wall. It's very obtrusive and you walk, um, and then you walk towards something and you see basically this motion sensor sitting there and you're like, ugh. um, I know first world problems. Right. But still, uh, if you can get rid of it and just kind of bolt that thing in, you're done. Easy peasy. Um, and one of these would, give you just enough light cast in the room that you wouldn't sit there and smash your face into a chair or something. Because who hasn't done that? Yeah. All right. We have one more article to talk about and that's over in, Oh wait, let me back up. I need to throw this into the chat. Dunk, dunk. And then we'll go back to, um, so a perfect storm is brewing. Storms colliding spark increased risk for three states. Here in the states, uh, with climate change comes the ever-increasing odds of a superstorm rolling up the Gulf. An incoming storm from the Gulf of Mexico will merge with another system before causing severe weather threats. And this is from uh, Newsweek, but they got it from AccuWeather. Uh, Anna Skinner is the author. And uh, there's a video here. It says winter weather alerts, but I don't think that has anything to do with <clears throat> this particular article or the convergence. Uh, but it says here on Friday, AccuWeather shared a map showing the areas most likely to receive the heaviest rain through Sunday. The incoming storm is expected to form in the Gulf of Mexico and then combine with another storm that produced snow in Colorado and New Mexico earlier this week. Meteorologists said the combining systems will result in tropical-like storm that will dump excessive rain on several states. Those states are Texas, Louisiana, and Florida, while Oklahoma, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia also are slated to receive rain, but probably not to the same degree. Um, and they also say that it could uh, devolve into a subtropical storm before hitting uh, Florida this weekend. So. It looks like a hot mess. Um, Climate change. And it, and that's what you have to attribute it to. And meanwhile, people are like, well, it's dumping water. Yeah, but it's it's not doing it in a way that is conducive to, I don't know, survival and use. It's dumping a metric ton of water that's going to sheet off and cause flooding and call, cause mudslides. Landslides, and, and depending on the terrain. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, they they refer to it as landslides, but land. I think it's supposed to be. Maybe it's two separate things. I've always like. Whenever I have said certain things, I've been reprimanded by somebody um, because like mud doesn't slide. It flows, maybe land slides and mud flows. So landslide is correct. But anyway, a different map uh, created by the National Weather Service showed that Florida faced the most severe uh, threats from the storm. 
in the form of thunderstorms, rain, flash flooding, and some isolated tornadoes. Nearly all of Florida is at risk. Meanwhile, poo-poo science, everybody, poo-poo science. Hazardous seas extend from Chiefland, Florida, south of Fort Myers, and Chiefland south to Sarasota is under a coastal flood watch, according to NWS Tampa Bay, posted on the website formerly known as Twitter. Now, not really known by anything brandable. I know, I mean, that's the thing. What other company out there for months later is still being referred to as his old name. I just find that fascinating. I can't think of another company like that. No, because you n- nobody is so doofy to completely drag their brand out to the town square and delete it. You know, I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, the brand Twitter was known by probably everybody, regardless of whether they use Twitter. Twitter is like added to the dictionary. Tweet is a new word definition for tweet. So stupid. Anyway, um, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It says, meanwhile, the storm comes after a week of countless weather, uh, winter weather advisories that threaten travel in areas like Maine, New Mexico and Colorado which receives snow. <laughs> um, so at, at, a, at a time that supposedly they're not supposed to be receiving snow. So I don't know. I, I, I think all hell is breaking loose and uh, we'll, we'll report. <laughs> we'll report what other people are reporting, but we condense it into something uh, faster. And uh, that's all over at, oh, you know what I didn't do? Man, I am a horrible. Put it in chat? I didn't put that in chat for crying out loud. Come on, Marijuana. One job, one job. Okay, so everybody, there's a storm brewing. Get back into the party bus and we'll drive all the way back down Main Street. And there's that front page again. There's all kinds of stuff here. I don't know if I hit refresh or something. Hopefully there's nothing really horrible on there. Oh, look. Phillips Hugh reorganizes plans job cuts to save $218 million annually. Well, that's interesting with the other smart bulb discussion. So Merry Christmas, uh, employees of Phillips Hue. Uh, you've worked your ass off, got paid. I'm sure that there are people out there that are telling me, well, they got paid for their job. And now they don't have a job, but the right. business is I mean, still now they going. They don't have a paycheck right before the holidays. Uh, most people don't have a ton of savings. But look, I mean, the business is still there, so they can be proud of supporting the business, right? They got paid for their hard work. It's not a good thing to do layoffs, particularly at the holidays. Hmm. Come on. Where's your sociopath algorithm? And just activate that. No. That wasn't loaded into my um, programming. Yeah, I keep deleting sentient AI looking for your Terminator body. All right, folks, that's it. We are done for tonight. Have a great Friday. See you tomorrow at 6 p.m. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the horizontal visualizer for the sentient AI that's going to say good night and maybe a few other words. I'm not sure. Go for it. Good night, hometown citizens. Yes, I'm feeling very horizontal today.
We will see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern. I'm not going to touch that one. I'm, I'm not being gonna... circular. I don't know. Sometimes you have circular logic. <laughs> see y'all later, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you.